Welcome to Episode 2 of Networks That Work, a podcast series focusing on social capital, our connections, networks, and relationships, and the value that arises from them. In this episode, Friend Request Accepted, Using Technology to Build Social Capital, we explore ways technology is used as a tool to help build community among people being served by programs and to capture data about the social capital being built and leveraged. At the height of the stay-at-home orders, Anita Brown-Graham, director of the NC Impact Initiative, caught up with Kofi Kenyatta, Bronwyn Clark, and Roslyn Flinch of Family Independence Initiative via Zoom and cell phone to learn more. Anita? I am so excited to be joined by Kofi Kenyatta, the Director of Family Independence Initiative Detroit, Ronwyn Clark, who is their user experience researcher, and Rosalind Flint, who has been described as an incredible community leader in Detroit, who actively builds and uses her social capital to support her community. Welcome to you all. Let me turn to you, Bronwyn, and ask you to share with us what do you see as being particularly unique about the Family Independence Initiative partnership with families? Yeah, so I think the most important thing is that we trust our members' agency and we strive to empower them with choice and control uh, by giving them access to financial resources. So there's recognition that In America, financial resources matter for one's mobility, um, and we strive to provide those unconditional um, cash transfers so that people can reach and achieve their goals. Um, But we also recognize those social resources um, that everyone has, and we try to draw attention to those uh, to say, hey, it's not just money. It is the incredible resources you have in your community, whether that's someone to listen to you when you're going through a tough time, someone to cheer you on um, when you're about to reach your goal, uh, or someone to come through and help if you ever need it. So um, I think we really strive to recognize those equal, the equal value in those, those different forms of resources and also uh, amplify and augment those social capital exchanges that are already happening in these communities. Hmm. So, Rosalind, from your perspective, what is it like to be a partner of this program? And I understand that partners here are not called customers or consumers or participants. You're actually family members. So talk to us a little bit about what it's like to be in this family. This program, if I will allow a lot it um many people within um the the uh, community that has less opportunity and resources to gain some um increment of um receiving something that towards their goals and um i was uh, i'm very impressed by it indeed we're going to focus our conversation on What we mean when we say we're using technology to build social capital, and and this would be an important conversation at any time as our society moves more and more of our conversations on platforms that are technology-based. 
But given this year, the restrictions on face-to-face communication, this couldn't be a better time to explore how you continue to build the kinds of connections Roslyn has talked about, even at a time of physical distancing. So Kofi, would you start by just providing us with your take on using technology to build social capital, or as we say, um, relationships and connections? First, I think it's important for me to mention that there is social capital taking place every day on the ground in communities. Uh, In communities like Detroit, we wouldn't be able to survive without social capital, without supporting one another. And so immediately we think of technology and up together as being additive uh, to the social capital changes that are taking place on the ground. Um, I I will say that technology and our up together platform um, can assist with building social capital, mainly by bridging uh, social capital. So that is exposing members to the, in Detroit, uh, to our members in New Orleans, in Boston, in Chicago, and all of the other sites that we are currently operating in. Uh, and, and so that, that exchange and, and building and bridging new social connections, meeting like-minded individuals that you may not have come in contact with you uh, because they aren't from your same city or your same demographic, um, but may share similar life circumstances or life goals and outcomes uh, in connecting those individuals with one another so they can collect collectively uh, achieve prosperity. And so I think that is one of the most powerful aspects of Up Together and other technology platforms is connecting people who may not have been connected before. Would you describe um, the use of technology to build social capital, to promote the specific program and family outcomes of your participants? Would you talk a little bit about the unique strengths of the Up Together platform for helping improve um, FII family outcomes? Absolutely. So there, there are a few things that come to mind when I think about Up Together and the role that Up Together has in being additive and in actually building uh, social capital. Um, first is we have a platform where individuals can share their success and not only their success, but the lessons from their struggles as well. Um, and so it's something empowering about seeing members that have, are from a similar situation and background as you uh, and who have been able to accomplish amazing things from not only just increasing income, but writing books and going back to school and taking care of loved ones and serving the community uh, and hearing those stories embolden others that have similar goals to do the same. Also, uh, when families talk about their struggles, their barriers, or some they call failures, right? And so our families are pretty open and candid about sharing their failures, what went wrong, um, the steps that they've taken to get out of that jam they were in. Um, And that sharing of information um, prevents others from falling in those same uh, pitfalls. Um, also journaling uh, and completing surveys. Um, it's something about seeing your goal written down um, that really motivates you to accomplish that goal. Uh, and then when you share that goal, where you share that accomplishment of yours that you want to achieve with others, they help motivate you. Uh, they hold you accountable. I think those are just some of the few examples of how technology um, can assist, but also reporting back, um, seeing the success that you have and accomplishing your goals. So, Rosalind, let me turn to you as someone who's using this platform. What's your experience in using it? Can you walk us through how it works? When I was growing, um, as I recall, my upbringing, where the older um, generation were trained 
the lesser or younger generation. Now, with this, the divide I'm speaking of is now it's in reverse. A lot of the group members we have to go to the um, the millennials to try to get assistance as to, to dealing with the technology that they use because it it, it converts so quick and uh-huh. um, the change as soon as we get used to the one. Um, social media or concept of using this technology, now something else has replaced it. So it's a constant quick change. I love to use it um, because the the journal and the uh, someone's close to the Facebook concept that I can, people can respond to each other on a more quick basis. Um, but anything other than that is is trying to get used to the uh, technology. I love that. That was such a rich answer. I want to try to unpack a couple of really important things that I just heard. So let me turn to you, Bronwyn, first, um, because clearly there are some people, whether by age or um, culture or experience, who are more comfortable um, in an online environment than others. Can you just talk a little bit about the types of families for which this type of platform seems to work better and whether there are some for whom it feels like it's not as useful. In my limited experience, obviously, uh, I've only been on the job for a while, but uh, I think that people who have a desire for social connection um, can oftentimes surmount any barriers that are imposed by the technology itself. Uh, I do recall meeting with another group in Detroit um, who were also a mixture of age ranges. And one of the older ladies said, look, if the rest of my group gets on this, and they teach me how to do this, then I will get on it as well. Like there's a critical mass component here where if- Which is cool for the bonding capital and for the bridging. I love the idea that some of the younger um, participants are teaching older participants. That's fabulous. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I think that, you know, approaching this from more of a strengths-based perspective rather than a deficit-based perspective is really critical in how we design, Um, recognizing that value of social capital in also the technology support side. Um, But at the same time, at the end of the day, you know, whether you're comfortable with technology or not, actually our preferences for technology are more or less the same. Younger people have told me, look, if this is over cluttered and like too much going on on the page, um, or if this is confusing to me because of, you know, different UI issues, uh, then I'm not going to use it. It all starts with good design and making sure that you're designing something that's simple, easy to use, and is ultimately informed by users' perspectives at every step of the design journey. So I think that there's, on the one hand, yes, there are challenges um, to ensuring that the experience is accessible to everyone, but I don't think that they're insurmountable. Let me go back to you for a second, if I might. Um, Clearly, you might have tried to use an off-the-shelf platform to try to cement these connections. Could, Could you talk a little bit about what you think the benefit was to creating the Up Together 
um, platform? Good question. I think the Up Together platform um, is constantly evolving and we consistently uh, solicit feedback from our members uh, to continue to develop and improve uh, the website. Uh, and, and, and so I think it is living up uh, to its intended goal uh, in, in that regard. Um, I think what separates Up Together from other social media sites uh, is the focus. Um, you know, Facebook is for social interactions, LinkedIn is for business interactions. Uh, Up Together is for those looking to increase their social and economic mobility by working together. Uh, and so we see that uh, across our members and across our different sites, that that focus on being supportive of one another, sharing resources, uh, and in addition, have access to resources. And so if you can uh, build a community, build your existing community, form another community and have resources available to you so you can continue uh, developing and furthering um, your initiatives that you have taking place on the ground uh, and, and be a part of a family and network uh, that it also has the same goals. Uh, I think that is the power that Up Together provides. So follow-up question. I'll start with you, Bronwyn. You can um, jump in and certainly Roslyn if you'd like to too. Could you be specific with our listeners on exactly what kind of data and information you get from the Up Together platform? So we under we uh, definitely collect survey data. Our system has a uh, what we call smart surveys, um, which essentially asks members questions uh, periodically at different points in time. Um, and we try to make these questions relevant to where they're at in their situation. So we learn about their everyday experiences from that, which helps us to go back to our funders and say, look, this is what people are experiencing right now. These are some current challenges that they're facing. And these are also successes and accomplishments that they have. Terrific. Kofi, back to Rosalind's point um, about sort of getting over the fear factor of utilizing these technologies. Do you find families in the program sometimes resist using the technology at first? Um, and if so, how do you overcome that? Or do you find that they welcome it from yeah. the beginning? Yeah. So um, with any initiative, uh, I think there are a few families that resist um, technology at first. Um, and it's not just reserved for the older population um, that may not be as tech savvy. Um, you have younger members who just aren't tech savvy as well and aren't accustomed to utilizing technology in the fashion that we utilize it in. Uh, I think one of the things that is unique to FI is that uh, we don't help. Uh, we don't provide um, any assistance in, in that regard. Um, um, we believe that when communities come together, they can support one another. And so to, to clarify that, um, families help each other with that technology divide. And so Rosalind mm. mentioned that um, she elicited the help of some members from the younger generation. Um, we see that across the board. All of our families have to access our online platforms in order to receive capital. All of our families figure that out. Um, and even before enrolling, uh, when we uh, introduce the concept uh, to our family partners, when they go about forming their groups, they take that into account and make sure they are reaching out to younger individuals that may be able to help 
not just younger individuals, but individuals that um, may be more familiar and accustomed to utilizing technology, um, knowing that they may need that assistance. And, and what we're finding is that they're more comfortable and, and the learning curve happens a lot quicker when there's a trusted individual within your cohort, within your circle, helping you navigate technology. I imagine that there are human service program managers, executive directors listening to this podcast and thinking it can't possibly be that easy. So, Bronwyn, what what advice would you give to someone who's just getting started at thinking about how to integrate technology-based social capital um, avenues into their program? I would say start by listening. Um, Talk to existing program participants. Learn about the social capital that they are already exchanging in their communities. Start from a place of understanding their strengths and then figure out ways to augment those strengths. Um, And this is a core principle in uh, design thinking or human-centered design, whatever you want to call it. Um, So step number one, preach out, listen, spend a lot of time doing interviews, um, observing what they already do, you know, involve users at every point um, in the design process as much as possible. So I think um, making sure that members are at the center of all of this uh, is the most important thing. I just wanted to chime in on the question that you asked Brown as well, because that's something um, that mindset is something that we often face on the ground here as we try to secure more resources going directly into the hands of communities and, and households is that mindset of. Uh, of what, what, would they do the right thing uh, with the funding? Um, how would they be able to navigate this system on their own? Um, so it's a, it's a deficit-based mindset in a lot of cases. Um, and I think it's important to shift that mindset and realizing that a lot of members of the community have been accustomed to showing their neediness in order to access resources. Right. And so the more impoverished you are, the more helpless you are, then the more likely you are to receive resources. So even if that isn't the reality, our families are smart enough to know, well, if I display this, um, then I will be able to access resources. So I think it's important for the social sector to realize that, to realize that we create a deficit based system that rewards those most in need. And we should continue to do so, um, but also realize that there are those individuals in our community that are on the right trajectory. They just need resources and opportunities to do it themselves. Well, and what is so great about this technology is you're saying to people, among the assets that you have to support you, count the connections that you have with other people, right? Um, And it is easy for the definition of asset to be about how much money you have in your bank account rather than what access do I have through my connections. I wonder, Rosalind, if you can share an example of a time when you said to yourself, I get this now. I see how this is adding value, not just to me, but to other people in my community. Um, It did come to a point that um, we found that it was an added advantage. Um, I wanted to speak of um, everybody in my organization has 
separate goals um, to increase whatever endeavor that they're attempting to do. Um, some may be business-wise, some may be social, um, things such as mental health initiatives and things such as that. So I kind of had a skeptical approach um, originally um, that, okay, um, these people actually going to give money to help us with our social goals or our certain initiatives that we may have. Uh, yeah, I would like to see that work. And I have not met one organization or group that's within the realm of FII that did not um, increase those goals that they set forth. Um, was able to do things to get going and get started and um, or enhance what they have already started. So it, to me, it was uh, the approach is and the concept is viable. Kofi, Bronwyn, Roslyn, thank you so much for sharing your insights, your learnings with us. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in to Networks That Work. Please join us in all three of our episodes to learn more about social capital development in health and human service programs. For more information on this topic, you may visit ASPE's social capital landing page. It features case studies, research products, lodging models, and other tools. I'm Anita Brown-Graham, and you're listening to Networks That Work. Thank you again for listening to Networks That Work, a podcast about the networks and relationships that make up social capital. This is episode two of a three-part series. To listen to all of our episodes, go to Networks That Work wherever you listen to your podcasts.